Thank you. So we will be recording in five, four, three, two, one. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thank you for listening to Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena. You spend a significant portion of your life at work, so my goal is to provide you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And I am delighted to welcome my very special guest to the show today, Joan Kingsley. Joan, welcome. Thank you very much. Joan, let me tell our audience a little bit about you, and then we're going to dive into a juicy conversation. Joan Kingsley is a psychotherapist and author of The Fear-Free Organization, Vital Insights from Neuroscience to Transform Your Business Culture. She has a private practice in London, is honorary consultant psychotherapist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery, and is on the psychotherapist register at the School of Life. Joan practices as an executive coach and has a vast amount of experience of working with businesses in supporting their staff. She is a member of the New York Academy of Sciences, a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a member of the Royal Academy of Medicine and is registered with the UKCP. Joan, really exciting to read your book and learn more about your practice. Yeah, you're so welcome. We're going to have a terrific conversation here because most of our listeners are absolutely career-driven and focused. So how can a happy workforce improve our productivity and our employee engagement and staff retention? Well, if you think about um, and being energized at work, and if you are feeling frightened and watching your back and scared you're going to lose your job, you're, it, that depletes energy. Yeah. Uh, fear um, takes energy and puts it all into survival. So you go right into f- survival mode when you're afraid. And that means you're not going to be very creative. You're not going to be feeling very good about yourself. You're not going to be up to the day ahead, to the challenges that are presented to you. You're going to be questioning yourself. Can I do this? Am I capable of doing this? You know, we all need that positive reinforcement and positive feedback. And when you are working under reins of terror and you are working with fear, that just doesn't work well for for you or for the organization. And I was delighted to hear about your work as an executive coach in in addition to your work as a psychotherapist, Joan. Similarly, I am in the career coaching and executive coaching realm, and I experience so many clients who have that Fear. And as we yes. know, employee engagement is essential for, the, for their own self-worth, but also, also the productivity of the organization. So how do organizations shift? And you call it the importance of triggering attachment over triggering fear and using trust as the antidote yes. to fear. How do they get there? Well, it, it really has to start at the top. Okay. You cannot create um, a trusting fear-free organization if leadership is not committed to doing so. So one has to make a good argument to leadership. What What is the bottom line for leadership? Is there a good bottom line? 
I, the problem is that many leaders and managers, they rise up through the organization having been very, very good at the work they do. And then uh, suddenly they're in a position of power, of authority, and of managing teams, managing people, leading people, and having a clue uh, what to do. And they're actually, most leaders and managers are, stop doing the work they're good at. Yeah and have to take care of the people who work for them and motivate them and direct their energy and build trust. And, and very few people really know how to do that. And then what happens is, oh, I know if I make people afraid of me, <laughs> yeah. they'll do what I want. And indeed, they will for a short time. <laughs> uh, so you get short-term results, but long-term you, you really are you know, losing people, demotivating people, uh, not getting the best out of anybody. Yeah, it just so, wreaks havoc on yeah. the organizational culture. Yes. So, so um, how do you change the organization? You have to convince your leadership that this is very good business. Because it's great to have a nice business and to give out unconditional love to people, but if nobody's making money and you can't turn a profit, that's not going to appeal to anybody. So there's a good business case to make for um, running a fear-free organization. So let's talk about stress. You know, stress is just rampant in the work in the workforce, and certainly there's this concept of executive stress, and you describe that leader who who leads with fear, and that's not productive, it's not healthy. So how do we begin to overcome stress? Well, first of all, one has to uh, separate out what is a good amount of stress from what becomes damaging and goes over into anxiety and panic. Okay. So if you think about actors, <laughs> um, an actor will tell you if they are not feeling some stage fright, they're not going to give a good performance. Yes. And, and if you think about racehorses, you need a certain amount of stress to get optimal performance. So, you know, stress per se is not a bad thing. It's when stress morphs over into anxiety that you get into trouble, where people get into trouble, organizations get into trouble. And organizations actually... Uh, lose a huge amount of money in sick days to, um, I think it's something like $80 million. I mean, wow. it's a huge amount. I can't wow. remember the exact figure, but it's a big figure. It's from the WHO. And this is um, um, workdays lost because of stress-related illnesses. Um, so, it, you know, it, it makes very good sense to understand the fine balance between uh, good deadlines and, you know, bosses who are cracking the whip and scaring people. So, yeah. Joan, you, you speak so beautifully or you write so beautifully in the book about how an organization be, can become brain savvy. Would you unpack that for me and, and share some detail? Yes, I think it's really important for all of us, whether you're uh, running your family, mm. <laughs> running a schoolroom, running a university, running a business organization, running the country, to understand what is happening in the brain. 
first of all, we have um, eight basic emotions, and the emotions are hardwired into the brain. This is neuroscience. This is not psychology. This is neuroscience. It's the basis of psychology. But our, our eight emotions are love, trust, joy, excitement. That's uh, each one, each emotion. And those are the attachment emotions. So these are the emotions that make life worth living and make us want to be with people and help us to build relationships. Then you have the balance of emotions, which are, again, hardwired into the brain, are fear being the most ancient and primitive of all the emotions, anger, so you can fight and protect your friends, your family, yourself, um, sadness, because when we have loss, we need to be able to grieve, mourn, and move on, uh, so sadness of sorrow. Uh, shame or guilt so that you, uh, you know, you, you can be empathic that if I do this, this is going to hurt this person. How would I feel? Uh, so guilt is a, an important civilizing emotion. And um, then there's surprise and, and, and there's disgust as well. So disgust, remember, these emotions are common throughout the, the mammalian world. And disgust initially would have been about poisonous plants. And now we think of disgust as telling us when somebody feels poisonous to us, we feel disgusted by them. And you have to pay attention to those emotional responses that are happening in your body. They emanate from brain to body. And then there's surprise, which can be either... It, it surprises a startle emotion, and it can either be a happy surprise or a very nasty surprise. So those are your eight emotions. They are hardwired in the brain, and we have something called the amygdala in the brain, which are the amygdala, we have two either side behind the ears, and the amygdala are, uh, is the emotional storehouse. Emotional memories are stored in the amygdala, and if you think about particularly uh, fear and panic, when we encounter something dangerous, the amygdala swings into action. It re it's constantly scanning the environment, what's, danger what's dangerous. And before we have time to think about it, the amygdala, if it sniffs out, and I say sniffs because it, it evolved from the olfactory ah. centers of the brain. So, you know, its, it's origin is in the smell brain. Uh, so if you sniff out danger, the amygdala swings into action. So if I walked into a room, you know, or, or walked out into the garden and there were a black belt and I thought it were a snake, or my amygdala thought it were a snake, because I wouldn't be thinking, mm -hmm. uh, I would go into survival mode. I would go, I would freeze. Mm. And I, you know, my whole body would go into survival mode. And then my thinking brain, which evolved much later than my emotional brain, uh, will say, wait, that's not a snake, silly, that's, that's a belt, and then you, your system calms down. And that's, that's very, you know, basic brain stuff. So what's very important in terms of fear is that when you scare somebody, you are actually changing the other person's brain. You are changing their brain chemistry. You are changing at a cellular level how the brain is connecting and all the wiring and connecting and buzzing and humming and, you know, how the brain is making sense of the world and what you need to do. So 
when you are with another person and you are frightening them, you are changing their brain. And you don't want to have that effect on a person if they're trying to work for you. You're not going to get the best out of anybody. Agreed, agreed. And, and you talk about new and efficient and even cost-effective and healthy ways to restructure and run businesses that are not based on fear. So tell me more about that. Well, we believe in um, a hot culture. Yeah. So a hot culture is honesty, openness, and trust. And we believe that the brain is the organ of relationships, and everything is built on the relationship. Um, if you are not honest and you are not open and you don't build trust in your organization with your colleagues... Um, you, you're just, you wind up with people being very defensive. So we really stress with, with people organizationally that you need to sometimes have those difficult conversations that are honest and open and transparent. Transparency is key. People want to know where they stand, what the rules are, what's okay, what's not okay, what's acceptable, how uh, salary increases are, are given out, how bonuses are given out, how you get ahead in the organization, how safe is the organization, if, are there going to be changes in the organization. And the tendency, I, I think the great tendency, is to be secret, mm. secrecy. Right. And people become, as soon as you go into secrecy, you kill trust. And if somebody doesn't trust you, they're not going to work well with you or for you. Yeah, I think even even difficult news that's hard to receive is more welcomed because it's transparent and open and honest. Yes. And, and people want to know where they stand. People right. want some kind of certainty. And people want fairness. We want to know, are we working in an environment that is fair? And when you break down trust, so, so we're really working with leaders on how you build trust in your organization, in your team, how you have difficult conversations. You know, uh, I'm not saying, of course, sometimes there are going to be little white lies that you tell because you need to, uh, because you don't want to damage somebody. But um, if you have... If you start with empathy, and, and it's this whole thing about emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. if you know yourself and you know how you're feeling, you're going to know how other people feel. If you have insight, so a leader who has no insight is not going to understand other people. So when we're working with leaders, we're helping them to understand who am I, what makes me tick, what are the emotions driving me, and how can I understand that in terms of the people I work with or who report to me? So, Joan, help me understand your process for those that are saying, gosh, I need, I need to work with Joan. I need to have an executive coach. I'm hearing this great wisdom about insight and empathy and trust for leaders. How do you engage with leaders to help them self-actualize? Well, what I do... <laughs> and my co-author Paul Brown does, is we do uh, biographical sessions with leaders. So uh -huh. we will uh, schedule in our first, you know, well, our second session. First session will be 
an assessment, mm-hmm. you know, am I the right person, can I help, what, what, what do you need, mm-hmm. and then I will schedule in a four-hour biographical session. Okay. And I have the person talk through their life with me. And by talking through your life, by having someone talk through their life, what becomes clear is the patterns that have formed in a person's life, how you relate, how you deal with authority, um, how, how much joy is going on in your life, how you've overcome adversity. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very powerful session to do. And, and based, and there's a lot of insight that happens in that session because how often does anybody get to sit down yeah. and tell their story over four hours? Exactly, exactly. That's a, a beautiful luxury. That's incredible. And there is so much insight that happens. Oh, I, oh, of course I feel like that. I didn't, I didn't realize. My, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's really brilliant and very exciting. Good for you. I can tell you, you love your work. I can hear it in your voice. Yeah, love it, love it. And then we move on to one of the problems, often it's about relationships, you know, um, and, you know, how, how, how can we create a strategy to deal with the goals you want to achieve? And, and goal setting is, a, is also very, very important. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want out of the sessions? What do you want for your business? What do you want for yourself? And what do you want for the people who work with you? Excellent. Yeah. Joan, let's talk about the differences, if you believe there are, between men and women in leadership roles. Ha, that's a very interesting uh, a loaded question. question. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a loaded question. Um, I think women um, can be wonderful leaders because we women have a great capacity uh, to be comfortable with emotions. I think where women leaders get into trouble is when they try to be like men. Hmm. And so, I mean, I was watching somebody being interviewed. I won't mention who it is, who's head of a big, big company, had kids, go back to work after two weeks. What does that say to me? Do I want that person running my business? If, you know, that's uh, how she feels about her kids. So, so women are, are wonderful caregivers and powerfully emotional and how you can bring that in to an organization and use those emotions in a very powerful way to create joy and excitement and creativity and motivate people. Men tend to be more analytical. Now, these are generalizations because there are, I mean, my husband, for instance, runs the most fear-free organization I've ever seen. And he's very emotional, and everybody loves him. So, you know, I really am generalizing here. But you see so you see the men who are running um, financial services businesses and are just focused on making money on the bottom line. Uh, they're testosterone-driven. You know, our hormones are different. We have different hormonal makeup, which means our neurochemistry is different. But, you know, there can be wonderfully, uh, powerfully emotional men running businesses, and there can be, you know, very um, driven women running businesses. So, so I really am being, I don't like to generalize. Do you see more women seeking out executive coaching than men or vice versa? 
I personally have the balance of my, uh, the people I work with are men. Interesting. Uh, but that's, uh, it's about my personal style. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, anything other than I'm, I'm American, I'm living in London, and English men are very appreciative of the way I shoot from the hip, as, yeah. as a lot of would say yeah now how that would go you know I do most of my work here I might have a different you know um, percentage of women clients if I were working mostly in New York Joan Kingsley what a joy to have you on the show your book is fear-free organization vital insights from neuroscience to transform your business culture so Joan tell us how we can buy the book how we can connect with you online and all of those good okay. things so our uh, website, which is very exciting, and we are blogging on it, and we have done a lot of writing, continue to do a lot of writing, and that's www.thefearfreeorganization.com, and you'll find loads of information there. You can buy the book on Amazon. It's available Kindle as well. Barnes & Noble, the publisher, Kogan Page, also sells the book. And I think uh, local booksellers sell it as well, or you can order it through your local booksellers. Wonderful. Joan, I thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise, and I, I wish you continued success, and thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me, giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Your Working Life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. Career and life satisfaction is possible, and it's time to embrace what you love doing so you can do more of it. My show is now available on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, and Stitcher. Leave a comment, because I always appreciate hearing from my listeners. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care.